Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. Well, welcome to Real Cuff Radio. Today we have Michelle Rigby Assad representing her latest book called Breaking Cover, a former CIA agent telling her story of how it all started and where it's gone from there. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Julie and Todd. Thank you for coming on. This is, this is really interesting. I have to tell you, I completely enjoyed your book. Uh, loved Thank it. Thank you so much. Yeah, at the beginning, I, I was kind of like, well, why am I reading this? <laughs> but at the end, I was like, wow, I just totally saw the big picture and just, I don't know, it inspired me. I thought, wow, God is so detailed. And this yes. is amazing. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell them the end. We'll see where we get. But I would say I completely enjoyed your book. Thank you very much for writing it. Thank you so much for that feedback. It, it's always nice for an author to to hear that their their book is having the effect that they had hoped and prayed. And so to inspire other people with my story is definitely what gives me the, the such great joy. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I I want to say that uh, I've listened to some other interviews, but you were just, I hate to say the word normal, but we'll say normal person. And you go, well, there'd be no way. She, she must be something other than just a normal average person in order to go into the CIA. But I thought maybe we should start with your formative years and, and sure. give people an understanding, you know, what kind of family you were born into, uh, are they, uh, you know, real close, aunts, uncles, the whole nine yards? So if you'd like to just start telling us the formative years, we can go from there. Sure. I think that would be wonderful. Sure. Um, I know everyone is probably a lot like me. I thought that anybody who did spy work had been raised for it since they were a child and, and spoke five languages and were black belts and various martial arts and all of these things. Um, but I grew up in rural central Florida, and my parents, uh, you know, provided a very loving home. I had a great life, but I didn't know anything about the world around me. Um, my parents didn't talk about politics or foreign affairs or, or anything like that. So I basically um, <laughs> wasn't one of those savants that I had imagined that would be somebody that would, could work at the CIA. And it would never have even entered my mind growing up that that was actually a job. I actually, Julie, wanted to be a ballerina or a rock cat or a pediatrician when I was growing up. Um, never, ever could have imagined doing what I've done. All right. Uh, my daughter wants to be a ballerina or actually has done ballet, so I could understand that. But my question now is, who all did you live around, close to aunts and uncles, cousins? Did you go to church? Yes, I was raised in the church. Um, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was about three or four years old. And so I had really dedicated my life to God um, at such an early age that I don't even remember that experience. But I just always grew up 
loving God and wanting to do something purposeful with my life for him. I had a very close-knit family. And um, uh, again, kind of growing up in the rural South, we, we had a great life, but it was uh, the opposite of international. We had... Um, I went to church every Sunday, and I, but I was quite fascinated by two things, and one was um, the missionaries that would visit church and would talk about life abroad, and something about that was really interesting to me, but yet I didn't feel called to the mission uh, of being a missionary or being in the full-time, you know, being a, a pastor, a preacher, anything of that nature, but something about that lifestyle just kind of intrigued me. And then um, also National Geographic magazine was kind of my window into the rest of the world. It's what demonstrated to me that there are all these incredible cultures out there in the world uh, that were so different than what I knew in Central Florida. And so I think those things planted the seed deep, deep within me, which eventually took root and, and really spread in my heart. Yeah, I noticed that you said you went on a mission trip to Egypt. How old were you when you went on that mission trip, and how long? Yeah, I had just turned 18, and it was just a few days after I graduated high school. And so this was my first chance to see what a foreign culture was like up close and personal. And so as part of that mission trip to Egypt, we were there for a month working in an orphanage. And it was in the summertime, so it was pretty brutal in terms of Egyptian summer temperatures. And we were working outside in the sun, laying concrete and uh, painting the children's beds. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure what about that experience made me say, I want more, but it really did kind of whet my appetite to understand Middle Eastern culture, Arab culture, all of these things that surrounded me during that month that were just completely different than anything that I knew. What about uh, preparing for that mission trip? Did you like the book, you know, in all your uh, preliminary studies? Did you study Arabic before you went the first time? No, no. I was too busy just trying to graduate from high school. So there was very little prep that went into that mission trip in terms of understanding where, where I was going. It wasn't until I was an undergraduate in college that um, I started to learn Arabic, and that was because I did a study abroad program, again, in Egypt for a semester. And so it was at that time that I had an introduction to the Arabic language, religion, culture, politics, and had a little bit more of a formal, more of a formal entree into the Middle East. What point did you meet your husband? Yeah, so this is a fascinating story. My husband, originally uh, from Egypt, he came to the United States to get his education after experiencing kind of a persecution um, as a Christian. So the church that sponsored him, First Baptist Church in Tavares, which is in Central Florida, they worked to get him a full tuition scholarship to college. And um, so the pastor's son was my classmate in high school. And so we met when I was actually still a senior in high school. He was the individual who led the mission trip to Egypt and to the orphanage. And so really it was, uh, you know, Joseph, uh, my future husband, that already started having a significant impact in my life at a very young age. So you already started liking him. So he was one of those... I. I went on a mission trip because the boy's cute. I think I wouldn't have gone if I hadn't been passionate about it, but it certainly didn't hurt the situation that there was this nice boy in charge. (laughs) 
What about the food? Yeah, they have excellent food, and I, I enjoyed that very much. Uh, there's a lot of kebab and rice and, and things that are not that foreign, like you might find in, in cultures in Asia, which, you know, eat very, very different things and use different spices. The Middle East is a little bit more easier for people who have never been abroad. Well, before you got married, did uh, he already have an inkling that he would be going back into this type of ministry? Did he forewarn you? Did you talk about anything like this before you guys decided to get married? We actually thought we would be living in the United States, and um, I had no interest when we got married of, of living abroad, which is funny because I, I just gave him a lecture, actually, when we got married and said, if you think you're going to marry me and then, you know, cart me off to Egypt, well, you've got another thing coming because this is not what I want to do. Each step we took after marriage kind of took us closer and closer to this destiny that like I could have never imagined and he couldn't have either but I kept pursuing my passion for foreign affairs issues and the Middle East and my husband was also working on his master's degree eventually much to both of our surprise we got hired into the the CIA together I think that part was fantastic because you know I've always thought about the CRA but I've never heard of a wife and husband being able to work together, which I think would be just the ultimate, because at least at the end of the day, you could talk about the things that happened. And it's it's not, you know, when just one spouse is there, they can't really share what's going on. Right. And in fact, you know, you're living the exact same life every day. And that is that stressful with a job that that's difficult and living in the places that we lived in, um, which were fairly dangerous locations, we really needed to be a team on, on every level. So the, the fact that you're, you're sharing everything, you're right next to your spouse the whole bit. You know, I just look back now and I realize I couldn't have done it on my own. No way. They always say hindsight is twenty twenty. You can You can see God at work when you look back. But how were you trusting God along the way? You know, you said you were saved at three or four, but you also were obviously being led by the Lord through college, undergraduate studies, and so forth. How were you receiving this, being inspired? Did, was it just like something in your heart that was overwhelmingly, i got to do this, this is what I'm passionate about? Or what really brought you that direction? I really, you know, in committing my life to God, I, I essentially said, like, you know, I realize that every decision that I make in my life needs to be one where I, I look to God for direction. So it wasn't a compartmented faith. I took my faith seriously. And so that for me, that meant when I prayed, bringing everything, every major decision, every direction in my life to Him, because realizing like when you are committed to God, it is full-time ministry no matter what you're doing. Everything in your life should be reflective of, of Him and, and you know, draw others to Him. I would feel, the best way I can describe it is, I would feel this overwhelming urge that I needed to do something. It's kind of a, a, a feeling deep in my, my stomach that could not be ignored. And it wasn't very specific. It just like for many, many years manifested as a feeling that I needed to study and understand the Middle East. And so I oftentimes had no idea where this was leading. Most of the time, actually, I had no, no clue where this was ultimately taking me, but I just kept taking one baby step after the next. So interestingly, God did not open doors for me in other directions. So in other words, there were oftentimes I had no direction whatsoever 
and no other opportunities. So every other potential job that I came across in D.C., I mean, the door slammed in my face. So much of God's direction came to me through rejection and closed doors. And so then it became quite obvious uh, when God opened the door into the CIA, which is such a competitive place to work, such a hard place to get into, that it clearly was where God wanted us. Good point. I believe anybody could receive that uh, just to trust God enough on every open doors from him and shut everything else. Indeed. And, you know, those things are quite painful when you experience them and you often think that something is wrong with you. So for years, I was like, why can't I get a job? What is wrong with me? Why is, why are all my friends getting these great jobs on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where I was living? And so you tend, when you're younger and you don't have enough life experience, to think that there's something wrong with you. Later on, I could look back and realize that it was the hand of God moving me step by step, inch by inch, and that those closed doors were actually blessings. But I I like to tell people it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, but you do have to ultimately trust that your life is in God's hands. You're telling your story, but I'm also curious as to, I'm sure you've had time to talk to your parents now, how did God prepare your parents and your family to to be able to be okay with just releasing you with uh we you know just we don't know what's going to happen i'm not going to see you not going to hear from you much that type of stuff yeah so i think they started getting prepared for that very slowly as i started doing these um these trips abroad and i'm pretty (laughs) i'm pretty surprised that they let me go on my first mission trip to egypt because that was just months after the first gulf war um in kuwait and iraq and so the 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 region seemed quite unstable especially in our our western eyes and yet they had the the foresight and the ability to let me go and i really praise them about that i'm sure that was really scary as a parent and they let me go and they let me study abroad for a semester in Egypt at a time when there was a lot of terrorist attacks going on in Egypt. I think my parents just were able to say, even though I fear for my child, ultimately, do I put them in God's hands or not? And I think that they repeatedly got used to, to doing just that. Like, okay, I, I could sit here and worry every day or I could completely just uh, commit this to prayer. So by the time my husband and I got into the CIA, my family was fairly well practiced at, at that. But of course, I'm sure you know, they, they were uh, taken aback by this crazy career. And every time we told them where our new uh, tour was going to be, our new location we were being sent to, which was like one war zone after the other, you know, they gasped and I, I'm sure they wrestled with it for a while, but ultimately they were our best support and getting us through years in which it was a very, very tough, a tough life and a tough lifestyle that we were living. That's good. I could see that. Instead of talking about a lot of the stuff that's in the book, I recommend y'all read it. Every detail's in there. Michelle is very detail-focused. Good job. But I wanted to go to towards the end of the book when you and your husband came out of the CIA after 10 years. I thought it was really interesting how you went into helping one of the jobs you talked about in there was the investor. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> it, I just thought, oh, my goodness, there's so many people out there that need to hire people like y'all to 
to go ahead and do the investigative part of it and you figured out how that guy was just a scam artist. Yeah, so, you know, we didn't know, leaving the CIA, how this, you know, you, these unique skill sets could be used in the civilian world. But it turns out, I mean, they were quite applicable to a lot of international business where people needed to vet potential business partners or vet investment opportunities. And in the one case that I did include in the book, it was a situation in which our friend said, there's something about this that doesn't smell right, but you're the experts on vetting people and information. Can you come and meet with this guy and tell us what you think? And so to be able to use the skill set with this person who has no idea who you are or what you've done in your life and can be completely in the dark that you're essentially testing them. It was, it was really fun. And it was really a confirmation that, yeah, okay, we do have skills that can be used outside the CIA for, for good and to support others. Are you still uh, pursuing that? Is that the direction that you're going now? Or where do you find you and your husband are doing more? So these days, we're still working as international security consultants, helping to vet people and information very similarly in that way. But also, I'm a public speaker, so using this book to launch the, the ability to get in front of people and share my story face-to-face, which I really, really enjoy. You know, something I never thought about there at the end, when you basically retired, it just doesn't cross your mind that, hey, you can't put it on a resume. When you go to get a job, hey, where where have you been for the last 10 years? Exactly. You have no resume. You have an entire hole in your life that you can't account for. So how, how are you going to get a job? You don't have a Rolodex of contacts. You know, you don't have a big uh, LinkedIn network or, you know, Facebook friends or, you know, Twitter connections, whatever these things are because you've been hiding and you've been undercover. And so how in the world do you get a job when you don't have connections and you can't tell anybody what you've been doing for, you know, 10 or more years? Well, you think the CIA would have some program where they take care of that for you while you're gone. So that way it makes you look like you're still there somewhere, you know? There is, there is a program. It just doesn't give you much to hand over to anyone else. Basically, whatever you're given is not very impressive. And so you could never get a job really based on that kind of sad-looking resume. People are raised with their parents saying, you better not lie. I can tell when you lie or, you know, something. How did you get used to that? Get used to the idea of being undercover. It's an interesting life because you are undercover. So essentially you're hiding who you are and what you're really up to. But if you think about it, even within, you know, Christian work, there are missionaries doing things in some really hard places who can't admit to what they're doing. And so they live undercover as well. So it's very similar in that regard. But also I had no problem doing that because what I was doing was, as a counterterrorism officer, a meeting with bad guys, trying to help turn them, and getting them to share with you insider information, you need to stop terrorist attacks from occurring. So ultimately, if that means you have to tell a few lies about you know, who you actually work for or what you're doing, then, then that's okay. I, I, I had no problem doing that. I was so proud to serve my country in, in that capacity. Did you find, though, that there were times that you accidentally told the truth, you know, told something about yourself that was not what you really wanted to Thankfully, say? Thankfully, no. I was good. I was, just, I was just curious on that because, you know, uh, just being brought up, hearing, well, if you always tell the truth, you'll know how 
to respond to people because you won't have to try to remember that lie that (laughs) that was just the way I was told when I was being brought up. If you tell the truth, you'll remember it and you'll always not have to cover your hiney uh, because the lie you tend to not remember what you said, Correct. that type of thing. Yeah. So in training, they say, you know, if, you, if you're going to tell a lie, it needs to be as close to the truth as possible so you can remember it. So really, when, you know, you're talking about your cover, you're keeping it uh, as close to your real life as you can. I can see what you're saying about it kind of relating to the missionaries because actually both me and Julie were missionaries in Uganda, Africa. That's how we met. And before that, oh, wow. I was a missionary in Russia, and she was a missionary in Bulgaria. But in Russia, one of the girls had to come in strapped with, you know, about $100,000 to herself to, so we could buy the things that we needed to buy because you couldn't bring that much in. Right. So Exactly. Same thing. Well, this has been very interesting. I, uh, like I said, again, I thoroughly enjoyed your book. And Todd, do you have any more questions? Well, if she wants to just tell a little bit about her book to give them a little taste, but like you said, I think they really need to read the book so they, you know, hear the whole story. But I think it's very interesting. I've talked to uh, nurses all the way from Texas to uh, Louisiana into Mississippi, and, and I've asked them, and these are all been females, but I asked them the same question what would you do if you were asked to join the CIA? And almost every one of them said, I don't think I'd do it. I'd be too afraid. I'd, I'd be too scared. Yeah, you know, so that's that's an, a very good lead into just mentioning what the book is. And so Breaking Cover is a memoir based on, you know, how, and it answers a lot of key questions. How did I get into the CIA? Why did I do that? Um, what was it like while I was there? And then what did I do after I left? And the real point of this book is to show people that I'm a normal person, but I got, I got very used to getting out of my own comfort zone. And so when God opened the doors, they were to things that intimidated me, even though I felt completely incapable or I felt like I lacked the skill set or the knowledge to do these things, I did them anyway. And the book is meant to inspire people to do just that. If you wait for the fear to subside, you'll never move forward. It'll never happen. So you know, courage is a muscle that you exercise over and over and over again. And the more you do it, the more of an impact you'll have in the world. So often, like for myself, the thing that intimidated me the most, the idea of being a counterterrorism officer for the CIA, turned out to be the most incredible, one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And it's to inspire people to take those baby steps, get out of their comfort zone, and to trust God to bring you to place you will be amazed by what you find. So neat to see how God's hand just kind of directed everything and then, and then you know, uh, how it wraps up at the end, which yes. we're not going to say they can go read the book, but um, it, it's just incredible to see God's hand just orchestrating everything as it as it goes along in your life indeed indeed and uh, what you just said I think that's a perfect opportunity for you to pray for every listener that would hear this if you want to just go ahead and pray for them that would be great sure so dear Lord I just pray over all of the listeners of this wonderful show and I pray that you that they will open up their whole lives to you and that you'll be able to guide and direct their every step. And Lord, 
not just that, that we would have the courage to walk where you are leading us, even when it looks scary, it looks intimidating. If you've opened that door for us, clearly you think we're capable of doing that thing. So please help us to be sensitive to you, sensitive to others, and to walk where you want us. And and continue to help us to be light and love in this world in Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of you and your husband going out there and obeying God for, you know, the, the saving of those 150 that was yeah. so incredible. I was just going, hoo, 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 no, God, <laughs> But uh, just thank you because uh, you're right. That was just like baby steps, but still you had to say yes, and you had to exactly. agree. <laughs> yes, and um, so I tell people it doesn't take any grand leaps, but uh, when you do take those baby steps, they, they can take you to some pretty amazing places, like helping others who've been uh, persecuted by ISIS or Al-Qaeda find a place of refuge. Well, you all have heard Michelle Rigby Assad and her book, Breaking Cover, that taking steps with God can change lives of many, many people and across the nation, across the whole world. So thank you for listening with us, and that's a wrap. Secret Agent Man, Secret Agent Man, they've given you a number and taken away your name. That you find A pretty face can hide An evil mind Oh, be careful what you say Or you give yourself away Odds all you won't live to see tomorrow Secret Asian man Secret Asian man Lips. The odds are you won't live to see tomorrow.